At Total Wine & More, find the best gifts for everyone on your list, whether it's a Cabernet for sis or a single-barrel bourbon that dad will love. With the lowest prices for over 30 years, you'll always find what you love and love what you find. Only at Total Wine & More. Spirits not sold in Virginia and North Carolina. Drink responsibly. Be 21. Where can you find the best gifts at great low prices that everyone will love? At Total Wine & More, of course, with so many great bottles to choose from. Find something for everyone on your list, whether it's a Cabernet for your sis, sparkling wine for a coworker, or a single barrel bourbon for dad. And if you need any help, just ask one of their friendly guides for advice. With the lowest prices for over 30 years, you'll always find what you love and love what you find. Only at Total Wine & More. Spirits not sold in Virginia and North Carolina. Drink responsibly, B21. Hi, I'm Kristen McGlory, lifelong genius hunter. For over a decade, I've been unearthing the recipes that have changed the way we cook. Now, on the Genius Recipe Tapes, we go behind the scenes with the geniuses themselves. This week's episode is a special bonus one with legendary cookbook author Nigella Lawson, whose writing voice and recipes I have been admiring in the Genius Recipes column and books since the early days. You might remember pouring boiling water over the batter for her iconic dense chocolate loaf cake, whacking store-bought meringues to bits for her astonishingly simple meringue gelato cake, and of course, her chicken and pea tray bake, secret ingredient, two pounds of still-frozen peas. She joined us as she was starting her tour in the U.S. and Canada for her most recent cookbook, Cook, Eat, Repeat. The link with all the dates and locations is in our show notes. So we were lucky enough to get some time with her right before her tour began to talk about what the phrase cook, eat, repeat means to her. But first, we wanted to hear a little bit about how she first learned to cook. I started cooking at a very young age. And, you know, I always say to people that we cook with my mother in the kitchen and it sounds idyllic and lovely. And my mother was wonderfully bad tempered and we did it in a rather scared way. So I'm um, one of the things I have a particular memory of is making mayonnaise. My mother liked proper mayonnaise made by hand. And um, I had a sister, Thomasina, who was 16 months younger than me. And so I guess when we were five and six, I think I was a bit taller. I could um, stand up. She was often on a bit of a chair or something. We both would be. We had this pale blue formica table. And so one of us would have to whisk the egg yolks with a little bit of Dijon mustard. And then the other would be pouring the oil. And it was uh, really quite fraught knowing which one you would choose because if you whisked, you know, she would urge you, like, whisk faster. And because <laughs> the whole point is the oil is meant to come in in like a small dribble and so it'd be slower. And I think I preferred whisking to pouring, but that doesn't, doesn't mean to say I always got that job. I make fun of it now and I talk about like the bad temperedness and it's certainly for stressful times. But I'm in so incredibly grateful for learning how to cook, I suppose, in a way organically that I didn't wasn't taught. But I just saw cooking going on. And I always remember now whenever I make mayonnaise and the bit when you add the lemon juice, how it does it lightens and brightens. And it's like it's a body memory of mine from. Well, you know, over half a century, well over half a century ago, that I have just kept with me. And I feel cooking is, in a way, such a continuum that it's rather nice to, to be remembered of moments how I noticed the first time I made it back in the 
you know, when dinosaurs roamed the earth. <laughs> and now when I make mayonnaise in a, um, I, I use an immersion blender in the goblet and I can feel my mother's absolute contempt, I think. <laughs> Certainly I think she'd be looking at me with a stick blender just going like, really? <laughs> you know, daggers, looking daggers, being beyond shouting. But anyway, that's what I do. But we do these things, but every now and then when I make it myself, the way I, you know, learnt growing up, and it does remind me, and I suppose part of what I'm talking about in Cook, Eat, Repeat, although only a teeny part, which is even when you cook something new, the chances are it's going to rely on processes that you've repeated throughout your cooking life. Peeling something, chopping something, grating something, stirring something, and it carries on. And so these are all activities we're at home with. And I think of that often in a way that sense that cooking is something that you does sort of weave itself throughout your life. And there are periods in your life when you want to cook, suddenly want to cook something, things which are very different than you've cooked previously. And then sometimes you really want to return to the familiar. And I suppose in cooking, as in life generally, it's so important to get the balance right. And that right depends from person to person between the familiar and the sometimes challengingly new. It's especially amazing to hear about that story from your childhood making mayonnaise in the context of where you are now on a book tour for your 12th cookbook. I know, it's odd. <laughs> Speaking of which, um, let's talk about your latest book, Cook, Eat, Repeat. And you came up with that name before the pandemic was on any of our minds. I know, I feel like this terrible witch who is you know, <laughs> ushered it in. Actually, it was my sister's title. Oh, yeah. My, my uh, sister, Horatia, suggested it. I was talking to her about what I was going to write about and what the book was, and, that, and she came up with that title. Flash forward to 2020, and it just seemed so odd in a way because the, what it started meaning wasn't quite what I had intended when I came up with the title. I, I'm now obviously claiming it. Uh, so in the sense that, a lot of people felt, you know, when it was published earlier in the UK. I think we were back in lockdown again. It was the uh, fall of 2020. And everyone said to me, but that is exactly a description of my whole year. And people felt that it was. Now, I wrote it, uh, although, as I say, it was a pre-pandemic project. Of course, you know, any book has to come out of the time it's written in. So I changed some chapters. I was going to have a chapter called how to invite friends for dinner without hating them or yourself. And then, of course, that I dropped that. I put in a, a chapter instead called Much Depends on Dinner, which is a quote from uh, Byron. And anyway, But anyway, I was thinking about how people had, even people who had been very much, oh, food is just fuel rather than food obsessives, like all of us, um, people suddenly felt how that evening meal made such a difference to the quality of the day. And the thing about the repetition of meals and food, also it, it, it provides a structure. And I think, you know, human beings need sustenance, obviously provided by food, and we need structure. We need a framework so as we don't feel we're flailing. And I think over those long months, it, there was very much a sense that the days were so baggy and amorphous. You had to provide something that made you know where you were within each day. And we need pleasure. 
and we need beauty. Now, for me, I think that food provides pleasure and beauty. It's a, like a constantly changing still life. And I love that. And it was important. So in, in a way, I wrote by myself at home. I was, uh, I was feeding myself, which I love, but and I did, knowing that other people were in the same situation, I added more recipes for one or put in the head notes how to amend. But really, I felt I had great freedom to investigate the various things that lie behind a recipe, whether they're personal, historical, aesthetic, you name it. I mean, food is rich. It takes in everything of life. So I could do that and perhaps with, with a bit more freedom. And I found that the recipes, the ingredients, the memories of the various times I've eaten them and the words themselves really provided the most wonderful company. As well as giving me structure, it provided such great company and, uh, you know, fruitful reflection because how sustained I was by memories of having people around my table or the first time I cooked a certain dish. But I think that... Food has such emotional resonance that you're, in thinking about food, unless you're a food scientist, but even then, it's impossible to be human and not have attachments to certain ingredients or certain dishes that aren't only about the food itself. It's about where you were in your life when you started cooking a certain recipe. or And that's what happens in life. Things do go in and out and you do sort of return and returning to recipes of the past without betraying them, but while still wanting to bring something of the, the you that you are in the present is endlessly absorbing, I think. Hey, it's Kristen. We will be back with Nigella Lawson in just a moment. You reach for the top olive oils and invest in the best pans. But in the kitchen, how well do you care for your greatest tool, your hands? When mine take a beating cooking and cleaning, which is often, I use Bag Bomb to work its wonders on my poor, distressed skin. Created 125 years ago on a Vermont dairy farm, their soaps smell great in clean hands without stripping moisture, and their fast-absorbing lotion means I can quickly get back to cooking. Treat your hardworking hands to Bag Bomb, every chef's best friend. Use code FOOD52 for 20% off your order on bagbomb.com. Good through 2024. You reach for the top olive oils and invest in the best pans. But in the kitchen, how well do you care for your greatest tool, your hands? When mine take a beating cooking and cleaning, which is often, I use Bag Bomb to work its wonders on my poor, distressed skin. Created 125 years ago on a Vermont dairy farm, their soaps smell great in clean hands without stripping moisture, and their fast-absorbing lotion means I can quickly get back to cooking. Treat your hardworking hands to Bag Bomb, every chef's best friend. Use code FOOD52 for 20% off your order on bagbomb.com. Good through 2024. And we're back with Nigella Lawson. Are there any recipes that were especially meaningful to you during that time while you were working on the book? There were um, a few. And one of the ones was uh, the chicken in a pot with lemon and orzo, which is like a one pan dish in a Dutch oven. Are you in a Dutch oven where you cook chicken with quite a lot of lemon, teeny bit of red pepper flakes, thyme or tarragon, and then carrots and leeks. And then you put orzo pasta in at the very, uh, for the very last 15 minutes. And not only does it make it go much further, but it's such a comforting dish. And 
it was very much like a continuation of a dish I have in my book, Kitchen, I believe, which is called, uh, I call it my mother's praise chicken. It's one of those chicken in a pot, doesn't look that great, it tastes wonderful. So I adore that sort of old-fashioned sort of cooking, which is not particularly about the look, although I do think it looks beautiful, but it's certainly about that cosy, flavorful bowl food. Now, when I was um, on tour in the States, I think it was in 2017, I, it was so wonderful. You know, you eat wonderful things when you can, I mean, snatch a meal somewhere and it's wonderful. I miss not cooking after a while. And I wanted that sort of idea of chicken, and but I wanted it to perhaps be a bit more lemony. I needed some sense of just bringing that recipe slightly differently. And I just wanted to add also to it. And I do remember, so I made sure I had all the ingredients in because I delivered on my app while I was still in you know, in uh, the States, making sure they were delivered in time for me uh, in London. And I just, the minute I, you know, I took my coat off straight from the airport, took my coat off, washed my hands and made it. And it's rather wonderful to kind of, it's like a homecoming dish. And I make it, you know, for my kids when they come over. It's just something we all sit around with bowls. And I love that. It's quiet, has a quiet charm. And I have a another recipe, soupy rice with, um, I call it soupy rice with chestnuts and celeriac. That's kind of a quite beige looking, and that's in the chapter, which is in Loving Defense of Brown Food. But, you know, I feel that so much in life now, like everyone, everything's got to make a statement all the time, you know, including us. Everything has to be high octane, you know, shouting for attention. And sometimes we want to be approached gently and something has the sort of comfort and calming effect that isn't best expressed with, you know, the sort of a maximalist take on flavour and everything. It can't be a riot of colour. Sometimes you get much more intensity of colour when actually it's less vibrant to the eye. So I feel protective of that those kind of recipes and that kind of food because I'm a home cook and I write for home cooks. And these are dishes that, you know, are straightforward to make, you know, kind on the dishes front. I don't want to, you know, cooking is always, I, I, I enjoy doing. I can't say I always feel immensely cheered by doing the dishes. So I want to keep that to the minimum. But at the same time, I just feel there is something about dishes which make such a modest demand of you, as an eater now I'm talking about, and yet provide so many greater rewards than the dishes would seem to claim for themselves. And I like that, and it makes me feel secure, and they're the sorts of, both of them are the sorts of dishes that always provide leftovers, so, you know, you've got other iterations to look forward to, you know, as the week progresses. And... There's a rhythm to cooking and eating, and it's that rhythm which is sustaining. And as with all of the recipes in this book, you can really tell how much you have made them, how much a part of the fabric of your life they are because of how many additional variations and, you know, slightly different but on the same theme kind of recipes that you have woven through the head notes and in in your essays in the book. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's it's very clear reading the book. But, but also, it's such a it's such a more interesting way of writing about food because it feels like the conveying of enthusiasm 
it's not just I don't want just to say here, my, you know, you've got this. This is the formula. You know, in a way, I like to wallow in the mm. pleasure of the ingredients. And if I think and you're not every you know, if you're talking about certain ingredients, if I've got certain ingredients in a in a recipe, I would never want someone to have to get an ingredient just to use for one recipe. You know, like what else can you use? Why does it work? Why does this, why does this particular combination work? And how else could you do it? And I think that in my head, I'm talking to people and I'm waiting for their answer. Yes, and I like doing that with the anchovies or whatever it might be. And and that's why, you know, being on tour is always such a, an enormous pleasure because I can have an actual exchange with people, you know, that I... I love, you know, audience questions. I mean, I like being interviewed, but audience questions, you know, that people, depending on who's in that night, where you are, all these variables, people have a different take on a certain dish or different dishes they love. Or diff- For me, it's a subject that never runs dry. You know, it's just like an endless, it's another way of eating. It's so nourishing to talk about food with with people and hear, I, I suppose, about other people's is experiences, cultures, habits, traditions. I love it. Thanks for listening. And my thanks to the incomparable Nigella Lawson for joining us. To go see Nigella in person, and I very much recommend that you do, see the link in our show notes for all the dates and details. This week's episode was put together by me, Kristen McGlory, executive producer Harry Sultan, and with post-production by Crutch Phrase Studios. If you have a favorite recipe that you need to make the second that you get home from a long trip, I would love to hear about it at genius at food52.com or by tagging me on Instagram at McGlorious. And if you like the Genius Recipe Tapes podcast, the very best thing that you can do to support us and to help other people find our show is to take a moment to leave us a five-star rating and review or just send this episode to other Nigella admirers just like us. Thanks so much. Talk to you soon. Hold up. 